Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good afternoon, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Man, oh man, this month's theme has got to be Drain the Swamp. Of course, with Trump being our new president-elect, but also locally, Chief Art Acevedo will be leaving the Austin Police Department. As with any goodbye, we can look back on all the notable times we've shared. Like when the chief of police stated that he believes it's better that a student seeks therapy for being raped or sexually assaulted. Listen to this. We potentially are training sexual assault victims that, that we have a lot of resources to help these young people turn into survivors through our uh, victim services and so forth into potentially murder victims. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounded to me as you said you would rather have a woman go through rape survival counseling than murder. I don't want a woman that end up uh, not just a sex assault victim, uh, but ends up being murdered with her own firearm right. because they don't have because they haven't put in the, the training, the retention, the weapons retention. Yeah, so he would rather, you know, the lady being raped or sexually assaulted rather than being able to defend themselves with a firearm or rather that a woman can't or don't know how to effectively use a firearm, so they shouldn't even be given the option when on campus. Also, locally, we have the termination of the University of Texas football coach, Charlie Strong. Strong has been noted on his core values he preaches to his players, core values that include a no-guns policy. Hopefully, we won't be taking one step forward and two steps back by filling positions with even more anti-gun individuals. But for now, there is only one more thing to say. Bye, Felicia. All right. Now, today, we have on the phone John Griffin, our Washington, D.C. correspondent and the associate editor of The Daily Caller. Also, we have on the phone State Representative Alan Fletcher. Uh, State Representative Fletcher is a strong advocate for the Second Amendment and always stands up for uh, what is right when it comes to our firearms rights in the Constitution. 
Also, we're going to have on the phone Edwin Walker, uh, the principal attorney for Texas and U.S. Law Shield. But first, let me bring into the conversation John Griffin, our associate editor of The Daily Caller. John, welcome to Come and Talk, sir. Michael, it's always a pleasure. How are you today, sir? Outstanding. So tell me, John, uh, post, you know, the the election is over. Uh, we have uh, President-elect Donald Trump going to walk into the uh, Oval Office there in January. They're now picking members of the cabinet. Uh, how are you feeling about this? Well, I'm feeling very optimistic that uh, a change this big, this overwhelmingly spoken for by the American electorate, is an opportunity to move back towards a law and order environment where we actually obey the rule of law, this idea in America that law is bigger than any one man in office, no matter what office they hold, I think that needs to come back, and I think you're seeing a lot of anger about uh, the long <laughs> departure away from that, that solid principle in America of, of uh, respecting the law first and foremost. So I'm excited. Oh, absolutely. I tell you, it's 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 really exciting to see, you know, what's going to happen. I wish people would actually give him an opportunity because a lot of people are protesting, you know, doing a lot of different things before, you know, he even picks his cabinet. You know, before he even walks into the door, they're assuming that, you know, just the worst is going to happen. They just really need to give him a chance. You know, what do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So let me bring into the conversation State Representative Alan Fletcher. Uh, State Representative Fletcher is a champion for the Second Amendment. He stands up for the Constitution. He always does what's right. Welcome to the show, uh, Representative Alan Fletcher. How you doing today, sir? I'm fine. Thank you, gentlemen. I'm, I hope I always try to do everything right. I don't think I do everything right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so, um, so, Representative Fletcher, I want to discuss, you know, what does the Trump administration means for Texas gun rights? Well, I think it's uh, absolutely uh, the best thing that's happened since the Reagan era. Uh, I know for a fact that if the other side had won, that we were going to be in a true battle about our gun rights, the Second Amendment. And I believe that the people that are involved in the Trump administration have already shown that they're going to be uh, working to protect our Second Amendment. Also, and so you think uh, this coming session that you know it's having uh, Trump as the president elect, uh, it's actually going to look good in the state of Texas for gun rights and for gun owners for the next four years. Well, I think you know that that comes back down to the state level. I think uh, Governor Abbott has proven many times, as well as our lieutenant governor, who used to be my senator before he was a lieutenant governor, and he's still my constituent. He's absolutely a true advocate for gun rights and for the Second Amendment, and he'll continue to hold the line. And I've had many conversations with uh, both gentlemen about, uh, you know, back when we were doing campus carry and open carry, and I know that both of those men are going to hold the line in Texas on the rights of our citizens to protect themselves. Okay, awesome. Now, what are your thoughts on the constitutional carry bill that was just followed by Representative Jonathan Stickland? Well, I haven't actually seen. I know I know Sticky real well. We've worked together in the past. I haven't seen the bill at this point. Um, I apologize for that, your listeners. I, I just I didn't know that so that specific question was going to be asked. Uh, I don't know what he's put in there. I'm I'm pretty hardcore about the fact that you know I'm the only retired peace officer in the Texas legislature, and I'm actually the chairman of Emerging Issues in Texas Law Enforcement, and 
obviously all the gun rights issues with respect to campus carry and open carry were all part of that. I, I, I really and truly understand the, the fact that our Second Amendment is critical to the people On of our nation and to, the, to our state. But I want to know, I'll have to know what he's put in there. Because One, I truly really want to make two. sure that we restrict. Can you hear me? Some, yes, sir, we oh, hear you. Go ahead. That's coming through. Some, someone, was talking over, someone was talking over me. I, okay, I heard good. a countdown on some numbers. Anyway, I'm sorry. Um, all I'm saying is I want to make sure that there's, um, you know, nothing in there that I would have an issue with with respect to. I don't want felons and, you know, folks that have violated their right to carry to have access to weapons because they think it would endanger our citizenry and the other people in the state, especially law enforcement, our first responders. Okay. All right. Awesome. Now let let me let me go back to um, uh, Mr. Griffin with the Daily Caller. John, we have some breaking news here. We have um, in San Antonio. It seems like a, a police officer has been shot and killed in San Antonio, just outside the San Antonio Police Department yes. headquarters. Um, yes. Man, this, this is just crazy. Um, while he was writing a ticket. I don't know if you, yeah. you saw that story it, at all. It's unbelievable. It truly is, Michael. It's, it's just so sad. Uh, I actually uh, would love to throw a question to Alan about that. I mean, Alan, you have, uh, as you said, uh, you have a background in law enforcement. You've spent a lot of time, uh, you know, working with law enforcement. What do you think we need to do, sir, uh, especially with the huge shift in Washington, to stop this us against them us against the police mentality that seems to be taking over. It's it's truly a new thing in America, and it's uh, dangerous. Well, it is, and I, and I truly thought that uh, the Obama administration should uh, bear a lot of the blame for that us-against-them mentality. It's been obvious in the last eight years that every time an incident occurs, we don't wait for the facts, we don't learn what the circumstances were, we immediately take a position and allow the public to get inflamed about the issues, and we've seen some of these carry out where it's turned into serious violence, that people have been hurt and property damage, and then we learn later that the officers were only doing their job, and I'm, I'm far from saying that, you know, officers never make a mistake, but if you look at the facts, the fact is it's, a, it's rare when an officer uses his weapon and takes, you know, deadly in action like that, deadly force, when he wasn't put in a position where he had to. So I just really am concerned that that that's been the pattern, but I'm hoping that America, it would, once we get past this silliness and the way they're protesting his legitimacy as president, once he gets in office and we start taking some steps forward, I think Jeff Sessions is going to be an amazing attorney general. I think we're going to take back the, the Justice Department. I think we're going to have some real accountability in all these other government agencies, and I hope that that in itself will cause this. You know, when people don't turn on the news every night and see their president and their government being against law enforcement, then that will help, I think, the tensions between our officers and their community interactions. And there's some great programs going on around the country right now. Uh, Tony Brinker Pickens in the Dallas area is working on an organization called Operation Blue Shield that's working with the community. All the way back in the 80s when I was a young Houston officer, we had community policing, and some of these things didn't work because we didn't do it the right way. And I think after all these years, I think some of these things are being honed into a better, you know, relationship and a better, better organizations for making that happen. So I just, I just have to, like everyone have to believe that this is the beginning of a new, uh, you know, feeling in our country. And I hope that uh, the citizens of this country understand that law enforcement's out there to protect them and, and, and to be on their side. And we're not, we're not the enemy. 
All right. And just to let everyone know what we're talking about here, uh, we're talking about this breaking news out of San Antonio, Texas, where authorities say a San Antonio police officer has been fatally shot while writing a traffic ticket outside of police headquarters. San Antonio Police Chief uh, Chief William McManus said the officer was killed late Sunday morning. He says the suspect has not yet been apprehended and a motive is not known. McManus says the officer had pulled over a vehicle while he was inside his vehicle riding a ticket. A vehicle pulled up behind him. He says the driver of that vehicle got out, walked up to the officer's driver's side window and shot the officer in the head. And the officer was pronounced dead at the hospital. And he was 20 year veteran of the police force. And so this is a this is definitely a very sad situation here. This is breaking news out of uh, uh, San Antonio, Texas, with the San Antonio Police Department. All right, and we're talking with uh, State Representative Alan Fletcher. Uh, we're also talking with John Griffin. Uh, he's the our Washington D.C. correspondent. He's also the associate editor of the Daily Caller. And then we also have on the phone uh, Edwin Walker with Texas U- and U.S. Law Shield. Uh, this is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talking. This is Maj Toure. You're listening to Come and Talk at Radio with Michael Cargill. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. That's right. You can't always get what you want. These people are standing outside the Texas State Capitol all weekend long and protesting. You know, sometimes you just have to wait four years and let it come back around and and try again. That's just how it is. All right. So we have on the phone State Representative Alan Fletcher. Also, we have on the phone John Griffin, uh, the Washington, D.C. correspondent, uh, who is also the associate editor for The Daily Caller. Also, we have Edwin Walker, the principal attorney for Texas and U.S. Law Shield. But um, State Representative Fletcher, we have a couple questions for you. All right, Mr. Fletcher. um, What goes on behind the scenes to get your bills passed? All right. Sorry about that. Here we go. Hello. All right. There you go. Right. I lost you. <laughs> hey there, Mr. Fletcher. Sorry about that. The mic got was off. Um, so uh, my question is, what goes on behind the c- scenes to get these bills passed? And with this information you're about to get us, how does it correlate with my uh, colleague's question here? So his, his question is, uh, what, you know, what goes on behind the scenes, you know, as far as a state representative and actually getting bills passed, you know, because, you know, we know the process, you know, step one and where it has to go from one spot, you know, to the committee and all that stuff. But what actually happens behind the scenes? Well, it's all a matter of it's got to be we're there to represent the people of our district. And if it's done properly, you make sure that the position that you take is representative of the people you're representing. And it sounds overly simplistic, but it's the way it is. And I think the people of Texas are absolutely adamant about the fact that our Second Amendment is sacred and that we need to have the gun rights that uh, our founding fathers meant for us to have. So 
I mean, when we get together and we talk about these issues, there's a lot of personal, you know, history, a lot of personal involvement. Everyone has, comes from it from a different perspective. I obviously come from it from a law enforcement perspective. Uh, I've got a son that's on the road right now. When you talk about an officer dying in the line of duty over a traffic stop, my 28-year-old son's a four-year veteran in the DPS, and he's on the job right this very moment. We were in church together this morning, and he's working from 3 to midnight. So I know he's out there right now on the side of the road stopping someone and working a wreck. And I know what a fine Christian man he is and a father and, and how much he cares about Texas and the people he's out there protecting and the thing. Someone would take his life for doing his job. Makes me sad. Well, I'm with you. I mean, I'll keep y'all in my prayers. Thank you. You're welcome, Representative Fletcher. You've written multiple bills regarding pro Second Amendment, concealed carry, and pro life. What other bills, uh, similar bills, are you working on currently? Well, I'm. I, I don't know if our viewing audience is aware of it or not, but. Uh, I'm actually uh, retiring uh, and not going back this session. No! I have. Yeah. yeah that's no! And, but there, I can't, I, I keep on at liberty to discuss it at this time, but I may be in a position to help in a different, in a different way, uh, federally. But we'll talk about that on another show. Absolutely. But all I can tell you is that, um, you know, I have, my relationships are uh, such that, I'll be working with the men and women that I've formed relationships over the last decade, and I'll have influence. I mean, I will tell you that when I had the lieutenant governor ask me about the body camera bill and know that there's talk about people talking about will there be changes, and I tell him that we worked hard and we put together a good piece of legislation, and then it doesn't need to be tweaked. You hear people say, we're going to tweak that. When I hear people talk about making changes to, you know, bills that I've worked hard on and the men and women of the legislature have worked hard on, and they talk about wanting to make changes. Those things are not, that's not going to happen. We're going to stand our ground and hold the line on making sure that these bills are, you know, maintained and kept in the form that we meant for them to be legislated for. So uh, I'm glad you're unhappy that I'm not going back. There's probably some that are happy that I'm not going back, but uh, I, I had to make that decision. It'll be clearer in the near future, uh, Michael, about why that decision was made. Okay, and I, I think I hear you there, so I definitely like that. Um, go ahead. Well, uh, who's who's going to take your place? We want to know that since you're leaving us. You know, who's your who's going to carry well, your legacy? Well, I don't know about. I mean, he's going to take my district, and, I, and there's plenty of folks in the in the legislature that I have, have a lot of respect for when it comes to Second Amendment rights. Uh, Phil King out of Weatherford's one. Dan Flynn out of Van is another. Uh, there's several House members that have good second, strong Second Amendment views. My actual replacement to Dr. Tom Oliverson, who uh, came to me several years ago about wanting to have that position someday whenever I was moving on, and I know for a fact that he's a true strong Second Amendment guy. He's a hunter. He's a, a Boy Scout, Eagle Scout, uh, you know, master, scout master. I mean, He's all about, uh, you know, training his kids, his sons, and about with weapons. And I know I'm not worried about him being against the Second Amendment. I don't know if there's going to be a, a – there won't be an advocate for law enforcement that has my background, being retired from the Houston Police Department. And so, I, you know, I regret that. But uh, I just think that I'll be able to have some influence from the outside as well. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Okay. Uh, John Griffin. 
Well, Alan, thank you so much, number one, for coming on the program today. I just want to, number one, say thank you for standing uh, standing strong for the last few years. Uh, it's really been great to have you up there in Austin. Uh, I'd like to shift gears, if I could, and touch upon another aspect of this law enforcement crisis we've been witnessing over the last eight years. I mean, you look at the problem of police getting shot, but we also have to look at the problem of trickle-down lawlessness, this idea that if we don't enforce the law, what point is there to have a law? Uh, Obama's administration, for example, with Fort Hood, said, hey, this is workplace violence. This isn't a, this isn't an al-Qaeda operative, even though his emails proved it's such. We, we have this environment now, unfortunately, that'll take probably more than a Trump term to fix of just agencies and uh, local governments just doing whatever the heck they please because they haven't been held to account. What do you think about that problem, sir? Well, I think we have a man in place right now that's the uh, congressman, chairman of Homeland Security, Michael McCall, who's on a short mm-hmm. list to be our new secretary of Homeland Security. And I am really excited about the fact that I think he is going to be the next secretary of Homeland Security. I don't have a vote, but uh, I know who's on the list with him, and I know that uh, he's expressed an interest, and he's been an amazing Second Amendment advocate, and he's someone that I was, you know, talking with about the Boston Marathon attack and talking to him many hours about the terrorist attack in Fort Hood, and I have to get back to my son again, but he was actually in the military and downrange in Iraq twice, and a general on MRAP, an air assault, an MP, and he was in Fort Hood, Day that that attack took place, and our federal government has disarmed our our soldiers on the basis they go to war, they protect us, they're trained to use their weapons, and when they come back to U.S. bases, they disarm them. I find that absolutely ludicrous. Talk about deplorable. That's absolutely deplorable, and it goes back to what I was going to say before, and that is that we've started punishing victims in our society and making them carry the water, and we've started. Behavior in the name of tolerance. I, I, I just thought I'd say this, Alan or Mike, Michael, but uh, I agree with Bill Maher recently when he said the left has become so tolerant that they're tolerating intolerance. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think you can clearly see that everywhere. All right, let me bring. I hate it, I hate it when liberals like Bill Maher are so smart. <laughs> oh man let me let me bring into the conversation um edwin walker the principal attorney for texas and u.s law shield edwin welcome to come and talk it sir hey mike thanks for having me outstanding so edwin you've been working with um you know, uh, working on quite a few things that you would like to clean up this next session um as far as the texas legislature is concerned uh what are some of the things you've been working on well, we, we've seen this from from actually the, the experiences of our of our members of our Texas Law Shield members. You know, they uh, we get all kinds of stories every week about things that have happened from to them, things they've seen, things that they've heard, and a, a lot of these issues that are, that they're coming across uh, stem from the fact that many times when the laws are passed, uh, there are several very very important uh, terms and situations that are not defined, they're not accounted for. And of course, with there being you know 78,000 uh, licensed police officers out there and over 2,600 different police agencies in, uh, in Texas, 254 different counties, uh, you get a lot of different interpretations and a lot of different applications 
to certain things. Um, and so I'd really like to see the Texas legislature address some of these to try to bring some uniformity to the, uh, uh, to the gun laws. Uh, one in particular is uh, I can't tell you how many calls from Texas Law Show members we got uh, last June uh, after the open carry legislation, of course, passed and was signed by Governor Abbott, uh, basically in a panic, and, and I'm not saying their panic was justified, but they were in a panic about whether or not their holster that they were intending on using for open carry uh, met the definition of a belt holster. Uh, and, you know, of course, I had to just sort of shrug my shoulder and said, I don't know, maybe. It depends on who you come across. Uh, I got asked about inside the waistband, outside the waistband, sticky holsters, tactical drop leg holsters, you know, virtually every type of holster that you can carry. And it was just simply because the legislature failed to define what a belt holster was or what a shoulder holster was. Um, we see that. And then, of course, with the, uh, you know, with the advent of Texas Government Code 411.209, which gave the authority to the attorney general's office to go after these political subdivisions that exclude license holders from government property, um, a lot of governments uh, sought refuge in the lack of definitions of what an educational institution was. So you had areas like the Houston Zoo and the Fort Bend County Library System, of all places, uh, saying, we're an educational institution. Well, people come here to get education, therefore we're an educational institution. And if you bring your gun in, we're going to prosecute you for a felony. Hmm. And, uh, you know, that clearly is, is, I think, erroneous. I don't think that the county can claim that their county library system is an educational institution. I think it clearly was intended for schools. Uh, but there's no definition for educational institution in the penal code, and so they're allowed to do that. Uh, also, and in fact, we just had a hearing yesterday or Friday uh, about whether or not the Waller County Courthouse uh, was an entirely prohibited premises, with, of course, the punishment being a, a third-degree felony if you carried into the entire building when the AG has given the opinion, uh, no, if a piece of government property is a multi-purpose building that contains both prohibited areas like court rooms and court offices and also contains non-prohibited areas like tax offices and county auditor's offices and county commissioner's office, then only the areas that are specified in the statute are prohibited, not the other areas. Uh, but there have been many, many counties that have said, nope, we got a courtroom, therefore entire building. And in fact, Mike, you're like, you're, your situation is the absolute perfect example of that. You know, Austin City Hall claiming because they have one room where a court meets once a month, that means the entire building, 365 <laughs> days a year, is off limits to license holders bringing in their handguns on government property. And, you know, I, I think that that's clearly a. Um, yeah, I think that's clearly an erroneous in interpretation, but uh, Waller County is, you know, they're digging in their heels. They went and they dug up all of the legislative memos from 2003, whenever the, whenever the law was changed from in a court to on the premises of a court, and they claimed, aha, the legislature intended it for it to be the entire courthouse. <laughs> uh, and so they've taken the position that any building that houses any court anywhere in the state of Texas is a prohibited place regardless of what else it's got in it. And, you know, that is, I, I think that that's absurd because, you know, just here in Harris County alone, 
Um, there's 16 courthouse annexes, which have a JP court, but they also have constables offices and tax offices and clerk's offices and county commissioner's offices. Uh, but yet, because of the presence of that singular Justice of the Peace courtroom, uh, that would allow them to declare the entire uh, county-owned building to be off-limits instead of just clearly the room itself and the office used by the court. And like I said, all of this stems from the lack of definition um, or the lack of any kind of objective qualification uh, with regard to these terms. And so I'd really like to see some of that cleaned up and and put down more specific that would that would close some of these loosey-goosey loopholes that a lot of governments try to uh, try to try to uh, take advantage of. So let me ask uh, State Rep. Alan Fletcher, uh, sir, do you think that this coming session there's going to be some type of cleanup work, as, as you know, is what um, uh, Edwin yeah. Walker is talking about? Absolutely. And I think that, uh, you know, making law sometimes is like making sausage. And <laughs> you can imagine, and, and you, you remember when we were fighting the fight for open carry and campus carry, how ridiculous some of the testimony was and how, so, how the media gets on our case about things that had nothing to do with reality with respect to campus carry. Yes, but I will sir. tell you one example that I'm still very concerned about is Phil King and I, who I alluded to a while ago as a good Second Amendment uh, representative out of Weatherford. He and I went to front Mike to make sure that in the situation of open carry, that peace officers had the right to ver- verify that someone had a CHL, which is LTC now, but that they could know that they literally had the right to be carrying. And that was overturned where they decided that that wasn't what the law was going to be. And he and I were both at the front and back Mike making sure that that was an amendment in the bill and was, was placed in there. So sometimes the intent isn't followed. But some of the points he made, look, when you're talking about trying to make sure that someone's not just sticking a gun in their their waistband so the gun's not accessible to someone that's not supposed to have it, that could take it away from them, the legislature being made up of lawyers and businessmen and women and not a lot of people that were gun carriers for a profession actually didn't, to them, just saying holster was enough, a belt holster was enough. So those, those kind of aspects of the specifics that have to be ironed out, that's what we get paid for. So we'll, those things will get worked out. And men like the gentleman that's on the radio with us uh, can bring that forward with his constituents and his representatives and people and then make sure that that's done. Because that's what we're there for is to make them fit what society wants it to mean. But in last session, was you think about it, in the history of our state, last session was the battle to get open carry after all these years and to get you know, campus carry and some of the things that we were doing. And some of the minutiae just didn't get, we didn't have time to get it worked out. All right. We're talking with State Representative Alan Fletcher, also John Griffin. He's a Washington, D.C. correspondent and also the associate editor at The Daily Caller. Also, we have on the phone Edwin Walker, their principal attorney at Texas and U.S. Law Shield. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Doug DuBois, Jr., Executive Director of the Texas State Rifle Association. You're listening to Michael Cargill and Come and Talk It Radio.
welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Nothing! Oh, yeah. I just look, you know, we have this nice view of the, the Texas State Capitol from where we are. We can see the UT Tower. And it's, it's a tough day for University of Texas, a football team today, but it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. All right, so we're talking with State Representative Alan Fletcher. We're also talking with John Griffin, uh, the associate um, editor of the Daily Caller, and also Edwin Walker, the principal attorney for Texas and U.S. Law Shield. Uh, so, Edwin, someone had a question for you. All right, so, you know, we're having uh, these conversations about how we can't carry on government property. Well, the thing is I find kind of fascinating is is this is a country for the people by the people, and if that's the case, then, you know, that property is technically ours. So why in the world are we even having this discussion? I think it should never even exist in the first place. You know, what y'all think about that? Well, that is because uh, in... 1983, uh, the Texas legislature created a prohibition about taking a firearm into a courtroom or offices utilized by the court, and they prohibited taking a firearm into polling places. And so those two areas were added in 1983. Uh, in fact, it's kind of interesting because the precursor to that bill, before it got amended in the legislative session, was that it would have prevented the taking of a firearm into any government building whatsoever. And so, and obviously that predated the uh, license to carry law by about 12 years. So license to carry wasn't even conceived of then. It was just going to be this extra prohibition because what it did was it made those two areas felonies, whereas just your random carrying of a handgun anywhere unlawfully was still just a class A, well, it is still just a class A misdemeanor. But the legislature said, we got real problems with this, and so we're going to make these two areas uh, felonies. And so that just stayed in the law. And whenever the Texas legislature got around to creating the license to carry, and then in, um, and then in 1997 when they made 30 out 6, and then in 2003, whenever they said governments can't utilize the 30 out 6 penalty, uh, they just threw in there, I think it's just simply an acknowledgement, not really as a specific exception, but just as an acknowledgement that there are places that are already forbidden for firearms possession. And so they said uh, governments can't use 30-06 signs to exclude license holders. Um, oh, yeah, by the way, unless they're already prohibited under 4603 or 46035. And so they never actually went back and revisited this prohibition to say, you know what, maybe these areas shouldn't be prohibited to license holders after all. They just kept it as this general prohibition that they had had since 1983. So it may be time to go back and revisit it, because you're right. It is, it, there's, there, of course, their argument about courthouses is that people, you know, they, they're so overcome with emotion anytime they go to court, and you got prisoners, and we don't want the prisoners to get the people's guns, and all of these other things, um, which you know, I think they could be looked at each on their each argument on its own merits. But uh, you know, I think the legislature sets a great example for the rest of the uh, government entities of the state by allowing license holders to bring their handguns into the legislative uh, facilities. Uh, so it would be great if they went ahead and revisited this altogether, but. Uh, you know, I don't know if that would ever happen. All right. So let me let me change gears a little bit and ask about like sanctuary cities. I got a question here that someone's asking. Um, 
you know, Germany handled its refugee issue by telling women to stay arm's length uh, from foreign rapists and things of that nature, um, just like Austin. So let me go to John Griffin first. John, you know, what are your thoughts about that? Well, Michael, uh, thank you, number one, for uh, um, you know taking this this issue up yourself. Um, I just have to say, like we were discussing earlier, uh, it's rule of law, Michael. Uh, in in countries in the Western world, we typically don't handle uh, you know we don't handle issues of disagreement with violence. Well, there are some faiths and radical uh, ideologies that do handle typical disagreements with violence, and Europe has let a lot of these ideologies just pour into uh, their countries, uh, Germany being one of the foremost. And what you see is this whole uh, punish-the-victim mentality that we've been kind of subtly uh, introducing into the American mindset. Instead of thinking of criminals as criminals, we think of them as expressions of their ideas or faith. You know, it's look, when I, if I go out and kill someone, Michael, it's not an expression of my faith. It's a crime, okay? Uh, you know, it's a violation of someone else's life and liberty. So we, we really have to watch this lest we become Germany. When, when Rahm Emanuel stood up, uh, I think it was last week, and said, I will simply refuse to enforce federal immigration law, what he was just telling his citizens that he's charged of protecting, Michael, is I am going to endanger all of your lives willfully uh, to advance the special interest, expression, tolerance, whatever term you want to assign to it, of people that don't even belong here and who have committed a felony to even come. So I kind of want to throw Alan uh, this issue, if he's still on. Alan, you still on with us? Yes, I'm listening. Alan, I mean, you, I know, have been behind this issue for a long time. What do you think about all this, sir? Well, I think you were, what you just said was well stated, and I agree with you totally. It's just beyond me how people in elected office can decide they're not going to enforce the law of our land. And for those mayors and chiefs of police around some of these major metropolitan areas, and last week I was very upset when I was hearing the media talk about how Police chiefs in major metropolitan areas in L.A., for example, are saying they don't want to enforce sanctuary city, in, you know, enforcement because they want the illegal aliens in their community, which they refer to as undocumented. And, you know, kind of like being a little bit pregnant, if you break the law, you're doing something illegal. They're illegal for being in this country without their, you know, without the right papers. And for these chiefs of police to say they want them to be able to feel free to come forward to testify in cases, and that's why we can't enforce sanctuary city law. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I was I was sitting uh, the other day. We we're, were chatting and we we're talking about. I hate to go too far off the the rails. We were talking about abortion and how that if a a, a pregnant lady was actually shot, uh, that would probably be considered a double homicide. Is, is that right, Edwin Walker with Texas and U.S. Law Show? Um, well, you know, I'd, I'd have to look at the statute specifically. Um, there are some states, uh, like Ohio. Ohio specifically has written in their laws that any uh, act of violence that harms the unborn uh, is considered a separate and distinct crime. And I'm, I'm not sure if that's included in the Texas statutes. Hmm. What do you, okay. And can you expand on that? Who are you asking me? So yes, sir. Can you can you expand on that a little bit? 
Well, like I said, it would have to be written in there in the law specifically that, uh, you know, recognizing the unborn as a separate and distinct individual who is susceptible to having a crime committed against them. Hmm. Okay. All right. All right. And then you had a question. Yeah, so this one's uh, d- uh, towards Mr. Letcher. Uh, to go back on the question I asked. This is uh, for uh, Representative Fletcher? Or Fletcher, sorry. Okay. I said Letcher. Sorry about that. Mr. Fletcher, Um, you know, with your background with, you know, the Houston uh, Police Department and law enforcement, uh, what do you think these courtrooms and stuff, you know, from what I've observed, like on like, like um, some programs that uh, when news is in there, there's already armed guards, you know, ready to take care of business if any th- civil unrest arises in there. You know, wouldn't wouldn't that already be just enough, even with license, uh, you know, holsters? I mean, I think that'd be suffice. Ask, ask him that question one more time, because we dropped him for a second. Oh, he just did? joined us back. Yeah, so okay. ask him one yeah, more time. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. All right, Mr. Fletcher. Um, my question is, you know, to go back on with like I asked Edwin, since you know these courtrooms and stuff, I'm kind of curious, like with your background in Houston pol- police and stuff like that, wouldn't you think the officers that are already in the courtroom should be you know, enough of a deterrent to keep things, you know, down because they're already armed. They're already there to handle business if something arises. So I think just outlawing. No, I I totally agree with you. And I can tell you that, you know, in the legislature, there are more guns on the House floor than there are up in the balcony. And and the reality of it is, as a peace officer and someone that was involved with campus carry and passed that legislation, I know that there is no history of the men and women of our state that are over 21 with no criminal history that go out and get a license to carry. They just are not even part of the criminal element. And to act like people can't control themselves, that have controlled themselves their entire life, that when just because they're in a certain building. I had a real issue with excluding uh, weapons out of the chapels and out of the medical areas of the university at our sporting events. I mean, these are these are thinking, educated individuals of our state, your motion is not going to have anything to do with the fact that one minute you're carrying a weapon legally and have never violated the law in your life, so you can be eligible to carry that weapon, have no criminal history, and all of a sudden something's going to happen at a sporting event that causes you to use that weapon. I mean, I just have no, you know, I want on the idea of constitutional carry, I truly want to state again that there are some people that have violated the right to carry by virtue of their actions by being criminals. On the other hand, I don't see restricting the location for a law-abiding citizen who has a license to carry. I don't see restricting their ability to carry that weapon anywhere. Now, so do you lean more toward, like, camp, toward, uh, toward license carry versus constitutional carry, or do you lean more toward constitutional carry? Well, if that's semantics, Michael, you know, constitutional carry, if you're painting a broad brush to say because you were born, you have the right to carry, I got a problem with that. You have a right to carry in this country because of our Second Amendment, but people in our society can have taken action to void their right to carry. I don't think people that are that have criminal histories, that have that are out of you know, out of been in prison and out some of these individuals have given away the right to carry. Now, a law-abiding citizen, that's a totally separate thing. And the way that we track that and the way we control that in our state in modern times has been through this new concept of having a license to carry. But if you want to figure out a way to keep individuals from carrying that don't that avoided that right to carry and call it constitutional carry where everyone else can carry, I'm fine with that. So do you see constitutional carry being something that's hard, that's, it's going to be hard to get it passed this next session? 
I think I think it'd be virtually impossible to get it passed. Okay. And why would you after say what we after what we well because after what we accomplished last session with open carry and campus carry to go back in there this session with the same basically there's a lot of new folks coming but with some of the same issues that were raised to try to reopen that wound as it were and try to take it one step further i mean you need to chip away at it from the standpoint of like the young man's question maybe opening up certain areas where folks that are licensed to carry can carry but if you want to paint with that broad brush to basically say there's going to be constitutional carry in the state of texas if you think that that's going to pass in the next legislative session you know i you know what can i say i, I don't i don't believe that i don't believe that can get done all right john griffin well, Michael, like Alan said, uh, you know, this is an issue of the left having for 30 years or more uh, chipped away themselves at our constitutional rights. So you have uh, you have to do the same thing in reverse. Uh, this is not uh, this is a mindset amongst many too, many Texas citizens, even uh, even though that's a state that rewards and honors. Uh, you know, uh, carrying and uh, you know, our Second Amendment rights more than other states, there is still a large segment of the Texas population that has bought into the leftist narrative that guns, this object, this tool, this thing, are the enemy, and that guns by themselves uh, are, are what need to be restricted to prevent gun violence, instead of looking at human nature and the people who are using them and misusing them. And that's been a problem now, Michael and Alan, uh, of course, for 30 years or more. So you can't uh, defeat an idea unless you chip away at it the same way the idea was planted. We have to go in there and we have to engage in this debate on a regular basis in order to undo that damage. All right. And I want you guys to hold on a little while longer. Uh, I know, uh, Representative Fletcher, I know you, you probably have to go, but I need you to hold on a little while longer because I know um, uh, Edwin sure. Walker wanted to ask you some things there. And we're going to go to a hard break here in a few minutes. Uh, we're talking with John Griffin, who's the Washington, D.C. correspondent and the associate editor of The Daily Caller. We're also talking with State Representative Alan Fletcher and also the principal attorney for Texas and U.S. Law Shield. We're talking with Edwin Walker. We're talking about the Second Amendment. We're talking about this common session. We're talking about doing some cleanup work with the Texas legislature. We're talking about campus carry. We're talking about open carry. We're talking about constitutional carry. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Brittany Glaze, and I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right. We're talking with State Representative Alan Fletcher and also John Griffin, the associate editor for The Daily Caller. Also, uh, Edwin Walker, the principal attorney for Texas and U.S. Law Shield. And we're talking about the current uh, this upcoming session. So let me go back to Edwin Walker. Um, Edwin, what do you think? What do you think we're going to do this coming session here? Well, I hope we're able to get some of these issues uh, taken care of. And, and also another issue that, like I said, my my, my uh, advocacy stems from what I see our Texas Law Show members experience. And, you know, one problem that I see throughout the state is the issue of uh, 
animals, animal attacks. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many animal attack cases we have to defend because, strangely enough, your listeners may find this very hard to believe, but strangely enough, uh, the Texas statutes, uh, particularly Chapter 9 of the Texas Penal Code, does not specifically allow human beings to use force or deadly force uh, against an animal that's attacking them. And uh, more often than not, whenever people use deadly force against an animal that's attacking them or their child, it's in the form of a firearm because, of course, nobody wants to go hand-to-hand with a you know, pit bull. And so they'll use a firearm to defend themselves. And since there's no general justification, since there's no general justification for use of deadly force against an animal, uh, they find themselves uh, haven't been. We've actually seen people charged with any number of firearm-specific crimes: deadly conduct, disorderly conduct, discharging a firearm in a, in a uh, municipality of over a hundred thousand people. Um, so uh, you know, these these issues do exist, and, and I think that they all would be put to rest if the legislature would just simply stick the words uh, or an animal. Uh, behind the words another in uh, uh, chapter 9.31 and 9.32 of the Texas Penal Code. And so that's one of the biggies I'd really like to see uh, really like to see put in because you'd be surprised at how many people across the state get charged with firearms offenses because they've used a firearm to defend themselves against uh, or defend their child against a dog or uh, you know, a dog or a coyote attack. All right, so let me go to uh, the last question for uh, State Representative Alan Fletcher. Uh, sir, who do we turn to in the state legislature when it comes to some of these cleanup bills that we're looking to uh, get passed? Well, I think, that, I think that, by the way, is something that's never been mentioned at the entire time I've been there, and I think that would be a very easy one. Any, any number of the men and women that I've served with that I know that are true Second Amendment individuals like, as I indicated earlier, Phil King, uh, Jason Isaacs, uh, uh, out of Griffin Springs, uh, people like uh, James White out of East Texas. Uh, there's numerous people that would be willing to carry that legislation, and that I think that one would be an easy one, as a matter of fact, the one about the animals. That's, that's an, just some kind of, like you said, an oversight. But I've never even heard that issue addressed on the, in the legislature. I have seen on the news and have heard things about these dog attacks, but I think any common sense, you know, person in, the, in our state would realize that using whatever means necessary to protect oneself or especially a child would be, you know, admissible. So if we need to get that wording in the law, then there's numerous folks. I will make sure personally that someone step, puts that into the bill. I know I have a dozen people I'd call tomorrow about that, so at will. Great. I already have that bill written up. I you don't even have to go to the legislative uh, the, the 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 legislative drafter. I already have it. Uh, I already have it written up for you. Right, okay. So. Well, I, I, my chief of staff, Robert Spears, is working for Senator Perry, and uh, I'll I'll give him a call, and we'll get we'll even have a Senate sponsor. How's that sound? Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, and my uh, my state yeah. rep is a brand new. It's going to be one of the brand new faces in Austin this year. So. Uh, I've already talked to him about it, but of course, being a freshman, I don't know what you know, what sort of uh, 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 will that he'll be able to 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 do up there. But uh, I know he's really looking forward to going. And what's your state rep? Your new state rep's name, Edwin? Briscoe Kane. Oh, Briscoe. Well, I Briscoe. I went. I went to. I went to Iowa with Briscoe for Governor Perry in his first run for the presidency. So 
Briscoe's uh, a good example. He'd be somebody good to carry that bill for you. Briscoe can get it done. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Briscoe Kane's fantastic. Yep. Okay. All right, awesome. Man, and I tell you what, thank you, uh, State Representative um, Alan Fletcher, for coming on the show today and taking the time out of your busy schedule. Um, and I'm very sad to hear that you're going to be li- leaving the Texas Ledge. You know, that's definitely news to well, me. I had no idea. Well, you and I need to talk off air, and I'll tell you, and then we'll have a show about what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> okay, <laughs> will do, sir. All right, All right buddy. You yep. got my number. Give me a call. Y'all have a great day. Thank you, John. John, keep up God's Thank work up there in Washington, D.C. God love you. I'm sorry for you to have to live up there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and me both. Thank you, sir. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks, bye-bye. Appreciate you. All right. And I, I tell you, uh, thank you, John. I really appreciate you coming on the show today, too, and, and laying all this stuff out for us. We really appreciate it. Well, Michael, what you do is priceless, and uh, you know we we all need educated citizens, especially now at the dawn of a new opportunity and a new administration. So, thanks again for what you do. All right, outstanding, and you enjoy the rest of your weekend as well. All right, thank you. All right, and then uh, Edwin, we have a, a bunch of questions for you here, actually. Okay, uh, hey, right, Mike, I just wanted to say I just wanted to get this off my chest Please before do. Uh, we go any further. That uh, if things play out the way they appear, and the city of Houston winds up trading Tom Herbin for Art Acevedo, I am going to be really upset with the city of Austin. Ooh, well, you know what? It's <laughs> it sounds like it's a done deal. I am really going to. be <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like it's a done deal. Sounds like he's gone. It's already been announced. They already gave their. St- I think uh, the uh, Houston Police Department's already given a statement, or or, or the mayor. Oh, yeah, no, our Asuedo is here. What oh. I'm saying is you can't have Tom Herman in exchange for him. Ooh. Why do you say that? Well, because Tom Herman is, uh, is the number one college football coach right now. Just because y'all messed up trying to draw strong, don't <laughs> you can't take Tom Herman. Oh, oh, so you think we're gonna, he's going to become the UT coach? There is uh, there's strong rumors to that effect. Wow, that happened pretty quick. <laughs> Because everyone told me last night, oh, it's not true. Because I told them, breaking news, uh, uh, Charlie Strong is, is being fired. And they're like, no, it's not true. There's nothing official. I was like, yeah, I'm hearing a lot. <laughs> so if you're well, hearing... I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think it'll be official to the end of the season. That, which, uh, which is on without Friday. A bowl game, with, without a bowl game, that's right, UT season ends on Friday. So, uh, you know, this is, uh, there, is, there, are, there are a lot of nervous people who are U of H alums, me included. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. We need a good, we, we need to make uh, UT great again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, go ahead. All right, Edwin. Um, real quick, I want to touch back on that animal, animal case deal. I'm a avid hunter. Heck, I was hunting last night for hogs with this cold snap coming through. And so, does this law pertain to hunters as well, defending against wild animal attacks? Because, hell, if a hog is coming towards me, I'm going to shoot it. I will not go to the ER for some of those wounds. Those are nasty. So, uh, how does no, that pertain? No. Yeah. Hunters do have hunters have very unique laws, so I wouldn't worry about that. Um, yeah, uh, there's pretty much a license to kill a hog any way you can. Um, and there's pretty much a license to kill a coyote. One of the weird, this is this is such a weird anomaly in Texas law, and it's existed for for decades. There's nothing new. It didn't just arrive. But the Texas Health and Safety Code 
specifically gives people authorizations to kill dogs and coyotes that are attacking their domestic animals or their livestock or their fowl, but it does not give them the authority, the express authority, to kill a dog or coyote that's attacking them or their child. Mm. And so it's just wow. it is kind of mind-boggling that if you're out walking, you're both your spaniel and your daughter, and a dog comes up and attacks you, you're given an explicit authorization that you can kill the dog for attacking the spaniel, but you cannot kill the dog for attacking your child. All right, well, we need to get that fixed. That's <laughs> not cool. I mean, understand the livestock one because, you know, I've experienced in that with, you know, working on ranches and, you know, got to protect your livestock. Um, but uh, the second question I have is because not- I've been noticing signage differences, you know, with the 30 out 6, the 30 out 7. Um, licensed to, you know, unlawful carry of a firearm on this, you know, you're going to be charged. Um, I've been seeing businesses with signs, without signs, and this is kind of pertaining to without signs. Um, the question is, what happens after or the workings of when you defend yourself and third parties in an establishment where there is no signage regarding firearms regulations in the realms of shops, eateries, and other locations? Oh yeah, if you if you if there's no indication that the private property owner intends to exclude license holders who are carrying handguns, then uh, there's no issue there with regard uh, to any any of your you know with regard to the legality of using force or deadly force. It's just as if you would be out on the street. Um, you use force, you can use force and deadly force. Uh, well, specifically deadly force. In any situation where you would perceive that there is a uh, there's an imminent threat of murder, robbery, aggravated robbery, sexual assault, aggravated sexual assault, or aggravated kidnapping. Well, um, let me throw this curveball into it. Uh, does this also pertain with the with you know no signage giving permission to carry with without a license or with a license? Because I know I know you know if you're on your own private property. You could carry without a license, but just want to kind of see, you know, how that works. Well, the only time you can carry without a license is if you are on property that you own or are in control of. So if you're just a patron of a grocery store or a shopping mall or a department store or something like that, then you are committing the offense of unlawful carry if you're carrying a handgun without a license. What about an employee? Uh, How it if you're an employee, then your employer can give you the authority to consider the premises, quote unquote, under your control. Basically, the theory is, is if you have the authority to exclude a trespasser from the property, then it is property under your control, and therefore you can carry a gun without having a license. Okay. A handgun. Yeah. Now, uh, what? It, with with all the protests going on around the country, and there's a lot of protests here in, in Austin. There's a huge one yesterday, apparently. Uh, it was just really massive and very nasty language and a lot of things going on back and forth. Uh, what can you do legally if you're trapped in a demonstration? Well, that's a great question um, because obviously there's a lot of people concerned with that. And the thing about it is, is that it's all going to boil down to what a reasonable person would perceive as the imminent threat. And, you know, this is kind of a tangent to something that we see all the time, and that is road rage incidents. Uh, Because obviously when most people encounter a demonstration, it's because that they have 
unwittingly driven into the path of an oncoming uh, demonstration, which one of, just as a side note, one of the bizarre things that I've seen is, is I cannot believe that there are police departments across the country that are allowing these demonstrators to block roadways the way that they are. Oh, I because I mean, isn't that considered a Class A misdemeanor blocking a roadway? Yeah, it is. A, I, I, I thought I, I was. Mean, I honestly thought I was losing my mind. I was like, wait a minute, that's a Class A misdemeanor. I, I don't understand this. Yes, it is an arrestable, jailable misdemeanor uh, to block a roadway, and I just. It, it, it boggles my mind. It really does. Now, I don't know. Uh, have they done that in Austin? Is, yes, uh, is it happens. One of the things that, is that one of the things that Chief Acevedo is going to be bringing to Houston? Is the, yes, because he, he, he marches with them. Block roadways? He marches with them. Jeez. Well, that's something else. So, uh, so this roadway blocking, um, yes, it is a crime. However, this would not, you know, even though it's criminal activity, even though you're if you're stuck in the traffic jam behind this, uh, you, you're going to be very frustrated. However, you're going to have to absolutely resist the urge to pull or display your firearm. And the reason is, is because the only, way, the only reason that you're allowed to display your firearm is if you're doing it in response to some sort of imminent threat of criminal activity to you. Now, with regard to your motor vehicle, if you perceive that one of these protesters is trying to forcefully and unlawfully enter your motor vehicle or remove you or somebody else from your motor vehicle, uh, then uh, that would give you actually the presumption that your use of deadly force is justified. Uh, so that's, that's sort of the line there. If they just look menacing, if they're just shouting at you, if they're just saying things, um, even if they're just simply pounding on your hood, um, you know, that's enough to really piss you off. However, unless you can tell the police officer, yes, officer, that guy was actually trying to forcefully enter my motor vehicle, um, then you're not going to be justified in pointing your gun at them or shooting them. Well, wouldn't that actually be damage to property? Couldn't you, I mean, since your vehicle is your property? Well, yeah, but it's just criminal mischief. Oh, I see. And criminal mischief, you, you're allowed to use deadly force only if you could prevent the criminal mischief. Uh, it, you could not prevent the criminal mischief through any other means, and the criminal mischief occurs at nighttime. So other than that, you cannot use deadly force against cr- just simple acts of criminal mischief. And you're talking about the Texas Castle Doctrine. If someone's attempting to enter or remove you from your occupied habitation, vehicle, place of business, or employment, you're justified to using force or deadly force to stop them. And and you're given the legal presumption that it was justified. Right. Hmm. So yeah, if we could if we could take if you're just if you're just one of the guys that's stuck in traffic because the protesters marched across the freeway. It is absolutely anger-inducing, and everything you feel is completely justified. However, you can't let your emotions allow you to express that in pulling your gun. Now, let's contrast that to the video that we've all seen of the guy in Chicago who was pulled out of the car and beaten fairly severely, and while two people were beating him, another one was rifling through his automobile, oh, I and then eventually, that. I believe, one of them got into it and drove off. Okay, um, yes. In that situation, I think deadly force would absolutely be presumed to be justified. If somebody, if either the man himself 
or a third party had come to his aid, uh, I think you have several crimes where, deadly, where the deadly force response is justified. Um, carjacking, uh, aggravated kidnapping, uh, attempted murder, aggravated robbery, uh, all of those are crimes for which the use of deadly force is justified. Hmm. Okay. Oh man, that's that's a that's a lot to take in, and I'm still stuck on the 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 animal thing. So I'm, I'm kind of stuck on that. So we're definitely going to have to bring you back, Edwin, to talk about animal attacks and using force or daily force, you know, against animals. So, Cause that, that's a question that comes up. And honestly, it's, it's hard for me to answer that question. Uh, so, Oh no, I, it comes up all the time. In fact, just this past week, uh, Texas law shield, uh, got a case dismissed that was filed against a Texas law shield member. He was charged with discharging the firearm within the city limits because he shot two large dogs that were actually in his backyard. Uh, they had actually come into his backyard, uh, were in the process of attacking his pets, attacking his children. He shot them with a shotgun. He gets charged with discharging a firearm in the city limits. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's definitely something that's got to be addressed with the legislature. All right, man. Thank you, Edwin. I really appreciate you coming on and talking with us sure. again this weekend. Really appreciate that. No problem, Mike. I love uh, coming on the, your show. And, uh, you know, just like I said, keep y'all's hands off Tom Herman. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sir. We'll talk with you later. All right. All right. All right. And I'll tell you, that's that's a lot. That's a, a lot to take in. I heard, heard a lot from uh, State Representative Alan Fletcher, uh, John Griffin, Washington, D.C. correspondent, uh, daily caller there, uh, and also Edwin Walker with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Yo, what's going on, guys? It's Chad Jones here, and I get my gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Welcome back to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. We're talking all things firearms. Now, here's Michael Cargill. Now it's time for GGN, Global Gun News. Global Gun News, sponsored by Central Texas Gunworks the largest online gun store in Texas. In the news, Monday morning, a deputy bards of Lee County, Florida, was working a traffic collision seen when a man sped down the road. Now, deputy bards pursued the suspect down the left shoulder of the road at speeds up to 100 miles per hour. Once the deputy and the suspect's car had stopped and both men were out of their vehicles, an altercation began. The suspects managed to get the upper hand and begin to savagely beat the officer. Now, bystanders and witnesses said it looked like he was going to kill the deputy. I looked over and I saw the car come to a halt and a guy jump out. And then I saw the police officer come to a halt in his car. And he, as he was getting out, the suspect ran over to the police officer and grabbed him. One witness who was armed, approached the fight, shouting for the attacker to stop. After multiple orders to stop, the deputy yelled for the bystander to shoot. Now, the suspect was then shot three times and dropped to the ground. The suspect died at the scene, but the deputy was treated at the hospital and released. 
Later that week, a local gun store heard of the act and decided to gift a Springfield XD to the concealed carrier to make sure he didn't go without protection for long. He was likely responsible for the deputy surviving the ordeal, according to the witnesses at the scene. A county attorney makes decision for Castile shooting. Now, Ramsey County Attorney John Cho stated to the press on Wednesday that he had given the officer involved in the shooting of Philando Castile earlier this year every benefit of the doubt on his use of deadly force. Castile had been pulled over because he matched the description of a suspicious person who committed a violent crime earlier that day. After Castile, who was legally caring at the time, told the officer that he was indeed armed, there was a misunderstanding and Castile was shot by the officer with his girlfriend and child in the car. The case has been argued back and forth, but this week the investigation came to a conclusion. Cho said, Based upon our thorough and exhaustive review of the facts of this case, it is my conclusion that the use of deadly force by Officer Yanez was not justified, and that sufficient facts exist to prove this to be true. He goes on to say that the mere mention of a firearm alone cannot justify the use of deadly force. The officer will be charged with second-degree manslaughter as well as the dangerous discharge of a firearm. Suck it up, buttercup. As annoying as it is to seeing college students and Trump protesters throw tantrums and hold cry-ins at their schools, it's made worse when it's encouraged and held by a tax-funded institution. Now, Representative Bobby Kaufman of Iowa is amongst 59 percent House Republicans and 58 percent of the Senate Republicans supporting a bill that would fine publicly funded colleges for holding cry-ins, excusing students to skip class so they can play with ponies and Play-Doh or playing counselors to comfort students in the wake of a Trump election. Kaufman, who resides as the chair of the Iowa House Oversight Committee, has explained the function of the bill is to take the amount a taxpayer-funded Iowa college is spending on these programs and subtract double that amount for the school's budget next year. Now, Kaufman says he sponsored the bill because students are being taught to have unrealistic standards for real life. For me, that's a waste of taxpayer dollar, and that also doesn't prepare kids for life, because in life, there's winners and losers. And in life, when your car breaks down, your kids get sick, or you have to take a second job up to pay your mortgage, you don't get to go to a cry zone. You don't get to pet a pony. You have to, you have to, you have to deal with it, which is why I came up with the bill, and the idea inspired Suck It Up Buttercup. That's right. This bill put forth by Kaufman is appropriately called the Suck It Up Buttercup Bill. Representative Kaufman does say he believes most students are normal responsible adults, but that too many are being coddled, in his opinion. It's too late for gun control. Politicians and civilians who swear by gun control will say that our allies like Australia have been able to get rid of guns with a gun ban. So why can't we? Let's put aside the fact that Australia's so-called gun buyback program was actually a ban for a second. There are well over 300 million guns in circulation throughout the entire United States. Now, and with no way to track most of them down, no way to enforce the laws without gross destruction of civil liberties and a losing battle on the legislative side for gun control advocates 
is too late for gun control, according to Dr. John Lott. Lott is an economist and president of the Crime Prevention Research Center, and he believes that it will be almost impossible to remove weapons from circulation. It's a reaction that we've seen many times. People see a crime that occurs with guns, and they think the solution is merely to ban guns. The problem is, is that every place in the world, whether it's been a city or whether it's been a country or even what one would think would be the ideal experiment, an island nation that has no neighbors to go and blame for their guns, every single time you've seen guns banned, murder rates go up, and often by extremely large amounts. He also stated in a commentary piece for Dallas News that countries like England, Wales, Ireland, and Jamaica, who banned handguns, saw a subsequent increase in murder rates. Now, even island nations who should have no problem regulating their borders struggle with five to six-fold increase in murder rates after firearms were banned, mostly with a correlation between drug gang violence. And that is your Global Gun News Report for this week of November. 2016. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. I tell you, the only message I can give people is you get knocked down, you get back up again. I tell you, there are a lot of uh, their elections that happened in the the county, the city of Austin, and I'm not happy the way those elections turn out. But you know what? I get back up again. And I come back at it another four years. And I tell you, the butt hurt is flowing. Let me tell you, uh, George Lopez makes good on his promise to move from U.S. since Trump won. He le- he leaves a bitter message for all the Trump supporters. He told he says, hey, you Trump supporters can kiss his so and so, so and so. Man, I tell you, the butt hurt is just flowing. Well, you know what, George Lopez, don't let the doorknob hit you with a good Lord split you. Bye, George. <laughs> bye, 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 Felicia. <laughs> all right. So what else is happening um, in the news uh, out there? All right. Well, the news title is Gold Star Family of Slain Stockton Soldiers Booed or Soldier Booed on Flight. What? Yeah, this it's pretty. So this, this is a veteran. Yeah, it's a veteran. Okay, okay hold on. So this, what, what's the story? Is this, this guy died overseas? Well, no, the, his son died overseas. Okay. So it's, it's two generations of family have served okay all right so stockton the father of a soldier who was killed last weekend in afghanistan Mm. was disappointed and hurt after airline passengers booed him and his family as they flew to meet his son's remains stuart perry an ex-marine who lives in stockton uh, said the uh, ordeal left him feeling disrespected it was really disgusting on the passengers part he said friday his son sergeant john perry was one of the one of the two killed in an explosion at a United States Air Base on November 12th. He was honored at a memorial service in Lodi or Lodi? I'm not Lodi, sure. California. Oh, Lodi, California. Okay. Yeah. On uh, Thursday and will be buried in Arlington National Cemetery. Mm. And the other guy who died was um, with John Perry was a first class, uh, private first class, Ty- Tyler R. Lubelt. Of tomorrow, Illinois died from their injuries after the attack uh, by the apparent suicide bomber on Bargram 
airfield uh, at about 5.30 local time. And honestly, I am just really furious with these, you know, cold-hearted bastards on this plane. At least y'all could have done is shut up, you know. I mean, or if you're really up to the challenge, you could go up and shake them and say, thank you for your service, because you never know, you know, who's going through what. I mean, that could have really made his day and made things a lot easier. You know, Cargill, I mean, I know you're a veteran. Thank you for your service. But if you were on that plane, you know, meeting your son's remains or whoever, you know, how would you actually feel? Would you feel the same way or what would you do? Yeah, it's just it's just a sad state. You know, it's a very sad situation. The words don't even express, you know, don't even express, you know, how it would feel if that was to happen. And I tell you, my thoughts and prayers go out to that family. And I hope they have, you know, find some type of peace and and saying goodbye to their, you know, to their their loved one. All right. So now, due to the switch in power after the presidential election, with the majority Republican control of Congress and a Republican president, the dissent against the powers that be will be stronger on the left than we've seen for almost a decade. Now, maybe now. It won't be so hard to see why giving the executive branch so much power is a short term solution that creates a long term problem. Uh, People who ignored the signing of the NDAA and the executive actions of the president and basically begged him to bypass checks and balances and institute more gun legislation might be eating their words in the wake of the election. Ernest Owens knows how that feels. Working as a contributor for BET and USA Today had his perspective changed after Trump became the president elect. He says he's now considering buying a gun for self-defense. It may seem like a progressive idea uh, to give power to the party leader who is in office now, but obviously it won't be like that forever. So now that when you give the president power to the tip to tip the scales, You give that same power to every president after him as well. And remember, more guns equals less crime. Go out and buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talking with Michael Cargill. Too young to remember when you can keep most of what you earned. When things were made in America. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. <laughs> 